listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Roki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki, and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice aspect legal. Now, today we have on the show, once again, the fabulous Robin Purdy from our very own Aspect Legal. Robin, thank you for coming onto the show today. It's always a joy. It's always a pleasure, Joe. Love coming on. <laughs> Let's talk trademarks. I love Let's trademarks. Let's talk trademarks. Okay, love it. all right. So today we're talking about um, a topic in trademarks that I think is really commonly misunderstood. So we're talking about registering trademarks um, in other jurisdictions other than Australia. Now we're going to be focusing a bit on the USA and some technicalities to registering trademarks there that are different to Australia. But I just want to start before we go there. I just want to step back and let's bust some of those common myths in relation to the registration of trademarks. So I'm going to sit here and fire some questions to you, Robin, <laughs> because I, I think there's some things that come up again and again and again. And I, I just think because we sit in trademark land, um, it's easy for us to forget, you know, some of those critical basics that maybe aren't so obvious to others. So the first thing um, that I, I think quite often comes to us is this sort of lack of understanding about the way in which trademarks are really jurisdiction-based, you know, and that there is no such thing as a worldwide protection or I want, you know, I just want to trademark everywhere. Well, that doesn't exist, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, in an ideal world, absolutely, we would love worldwide protection, especially, you know, we're developing our brands. We're working so hard. We're putting so much money in to these brands and we're really looking at trying to take on the world, take on these global audiences. We want as much protection as we can get. But there is no worldwide system of registration. And so what that means is you really need to consider the markets that you're going to be targeting um, and look at the protection that you can achieve in those markets. And sometimes that means actually giving consideration to that step before you start developing your brand because it may be that you're safe to use your particular brand or your trademark in Australia but you might encounter problems overseas in different countries. So obviously yeah. the earlier you can start giving thought to these sorts of things, the better you're going to be. Yeah. And do you know what? That's a really good point. Um, and there's quite a few components of that. I think the first thing is if you're here in Australia, you start in Australia. Of and course. Um, there are some, and, and that's maybe a mistake that I see sometimes, this idea that um, Australian businesses are thinking offshore of protection before thinking onshore, you know, and, and of course, perhaps it's not relevant to have an Australian mark if you're not represented here in Australia at all. We're assuming um, that that you are. But if you have a business here in Australia, a product here in Australia, then, um, then obviously you want to think about the Australian registration first, but you also want to think of where else it is that you might be using this mark and might need to protect that mark. Now, we've had a lot of instances of clients who've come in um, where we might be acting 
working for an overseas, an offshore-based company, and they haven't thought of Australia because we're a little bit smaller than some of the other <laughs> jurisdictions, um, at the time that they had been registering their marks. And, you, you know, we've had to act um, in many instances for businesses who are trying to get trademarks here when they've already been taken. And I guess this is a risk mm-hmm. for um, young players expanding into markets where you haven't done your trademark searches in those jurisdictions can be very risky. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to find that you've spent a lot of money and time investing in your brand only to find out that uh, your brand can't be protected in one of these markets that you're really interested in, whether that be at home in Australia or one of the global markets. Yeah, yeah. And we have some large clients who over time have had to resign themselves to the fact that they're going to have to have um, dual brands. So sometimes, you know, the decision might be if they've used a brand in Australia for a long time and have then subsequently expanded internationally, realised that brand was taken, they've then had to, you know, dual brand it, come up with a new brand for that jurisdiction. But certainly if you can get in early enough at brand development phase and you know where it is that you're likely to use your mark, then it's really important to do that brand development, taking into account searches in each of those different jurisdictions. Absolutely. I mean, we all we don't have the crystal ball, so we don't know what business is going to take off and, and in what markets, you know, it's going to be successful. And international registration can be a bit expensive. So we don't want to see a situation where you're spending time and money going ahead with searches and indeed applications for registration in lots of different global markets, in lots of different jurisdictions um, at a huge expense, uh, only to find out that you weren't going to, you know, expand into that territory anyway. So it is about giving some careful consideration to realistically where you see your business going, um, at least in the initial stages. Um, And then, you know, if it is a situation where, Later down the track, you're looking at expanding to a global market, to a jurisdiction, and unfortunately, that mark is already protected there by a third party. You know, that's not the end of the, the, the day for you. There are always options that we can help you explore. It may be looking at things like coexistence agreements if the yeah. other party is amenable to that. Um, or as you said, you know, having to take on dual branding considerations. So it's not always the end of the day. It's not always bad news, but obviously the better position to be in is to to give these issues some, some thought at the beginning and put yourself in as strong a position as you can be going forward. Yeah, great point. And and I guess the other thing to add to this discussion as well is the um, the real importance of bearing in mind, even if you might not decide to register your mark in these other jurisdictions in which you're trading or selling, you really do need to make sure you're avoiding infringement action. So that's why searches at very minimum are super important before you're entering into new uh, markets. So then let's talk about the, the process then of having registrations for trademarks uh, outside of Australia can sometimes be very different to Australia. So I guess that's the other thing to bear in mind. And whilst we do have, you know, certain conventions of which Australia um, is is a party to, it doesn't mean that registration in each of these different countries is exactly the same. Now, there are some countries where registration is just extremely 
different, but some countries in which registration seems similar but then has a few different nuances. So I think today we're going to talk a little bit about registration in the US and one of the nuances for registration in the US that is a little bit different to here in Australia. What's that? Take us through that issue, Robin. Yes, so basically in Australia, once you've achieved registration for your trademark, the Australian system doesn't impose any obligation on a trademark owner to demonstrate that they've continually used their trademark to to enable that protection to to continue throughout the lifespan of the trademark. I guess one thing we'd throw in there is is if someone has not used a mark at all for an extensive period of time, there's there's an ability for another party to bring a non-use application. Absolutely. What we're talking about here is part of the requirements of actual registration. Yes, absolutely. So one of the nuances in Australia is that the system here for trademark registration, once you've actually achieved registration, does not require a trademark owner to continually use their trademark to ensure its protection. Now, we'll pause here just to note the slight difference there when we're talking about a brand new trademark application that's achieved registration that can potentially be open for attack for non-use if it's not used for five years. So generally speaking, you, you file your application, it's accepted, you've then got five years to use it before anybody can attack you. Um, if you don't use it within that five-year period, then your trademark will become vulnerable to a, an application for removal for non-use. Um, and you must then can demonstrate that you've used it for a period of three years in that in that time frame. Okay, so what we're now talking about in Australia is following that um, period for non-use having expired, once you can demonstrate that you've used it in that in that time period, your trademark protection will be secure in that respect. The system in the USA is a little bit different. The procedure in the USA is that owners need to declare actual use throughout the period of the trademark's registration. And essentially what that means is that you have to use your trademark in business to keep it alive. And demonstrating use just once isn't enough. It must be able, you must be able to continually demonstrate your ongoing use of this trademark through the life if you want to continue its protection um, and keep its benefits there. Yeah, and so I, I think that's it's a super interesting point. So I, I guess just to rehash here in Australia, you can apply for a mark, even something that you're not using right now on the basis that you have this intended um, this intention to use it in the future. Um, and it, you have about, you have five years, a five-year grace period to actually go and do that, but it's not the same in the US. In the US, you need to be using your mark. That's um, right. and, and over and above that, you actually need to be ready to submit evidence to show that you've been using that mark. And, That's right. And I, and I think this comes back to a really important point, um, which is, What is the correct use of a mark? Now, we won't go into all of that right now because it's a little bit technical for a podcast. Um, (laughs) You're running along the beach or you're on your computer. You probably don't want to to be too heavy. It could be early in the morning for you listening (laughs) to this podcast. (laughs) Probably don't want to hear the intricacies, but the point is it's super important that if you're registering in any um trademark registration, it's important that you understand ultimately what you need to do in the future in terms of use. But if you're registering here in this 
in in the US, we're saying, well, there's sort of this additional requirement and you need to absolutely make sure you understand what is use of the mark and what you'll be required to provide in the future as evidence of that use. I think that's sort of the key thing to bear in mind. And and really important to remember, with the system of registration the way that it is, uh, in Australia, you will you will register in a specific class. Let's take class 25, for example, which deals with clothing um, and articles of clothing, shoes, t-shirts, all that sort of, all those items that fall within that broad heading of clothing. If you've got a registration um, in class 25 and you just need to be able to show that you're using it in relation to the goods in, in that class. So, if your registration is for clothing, it's sufficient to be able to show you've used your trademark on a T-shirt. In the US, if you've got your registration in class 25 for clothing and you've specified jumpers, socks, you know, scarves, gloves, T-shirts, jeans, or whatever the items may be within that one class, all of these subspecifications, in the USA, you need to be able to demonstrate that you have used your trademark on each and every one of those individual specifications. So if you've, it's not sufficient to say I've used my trademark on the T-shirt, but not, if you've got protection for socks and you haven't used it on the socks, you're not going to be able to maintain that, that registration for socks. And so, so I think this brings back really importantly two things. Um, number one, I, I'd just like to reiterate that this shows why it's super important that um, trademark registrations aren't just done willy-nilly, that you're talking to advisors who understand these implications um, and that you have people that you can rely on to work you through the process. That's the first thing, you know. Um, and and I think that there is a misperception um, here in Australia that trademark registration is easy because ultimately anyone can go in and register, put, you know, put in a trademark registration. But people just don't understand the nuances for all of the decisions that they're making in the trademark application process. And this is just a classic example of where that plays as well. Absolutely. So that's the first point I wanted to make. But the the second point is a question. So we've talked about the need for proof um, over time. Can can you just, uh, you know, just give a snapshot of, so what happens if you don't have the proof? Sure. So you have these set periods in the USA, which they, they call their maintenance periods. Um, and the first one is usually between the fifth and sixth anniversary of the trademark. So it's it's been registered for five years. And now between the fifth and the sixth anniversary, we need to submit evidence of how the trademark is being used in relation to each of those specifications. And what that consists of is providing specimens of use. So, you know, photographs and swing tags, mock-ups, Um, where appropriate in in some instances, mock-ups won't always be accepted um, in the USA by the trademarks office there. And they have um, quite a set um, of specific details there about what kind of evidence is required. But importantly, if you do have an early ability to delete specifications from your registration. So before you get to this period where you need to submit your proof of use, If you've reviewed your trademark registration and you thought, look, at the time that I registered, I really did intend to use it on jumpers and jeans and socks. But as it turns out, we've been so successful in just jumpers, we never expanded past that. We haven't been using it for jeans and socks. You do have the ability at that stage to be able to delete 
that specification without penalty. If, however, you go, you don't do it at that early stage and then you're up, uh, your timeframe for having to submit your evidence of use has approached and you're unable to satisfy the office that you have indeed used it for all of your items, then there can be fees that will apply um, in relation to having to amend your trademark registration to delete um, to delete those inapplicable specifications. So the key takeaway from that is that before you, the owner of the trademark is required to file their maintenance documents, their proof of use documents, you need to carefully review your trademark. And if you're not using it for one of the goods or services that you've actually specified in the registration, then you need to identify those in the declaration that you submit and ask them to be deleted um, before you have to file your proof of use and that way you'll avoid those penalty charges. And I guess the overarching sort of takeaway out of this is it's not as easy as it seems on first blush. Simply getting a trademark registration actually at the end of the day isn't necessarily the protection that you're after. You'll only ever know how good your trademark is um, or you, how good your trademark registration is when you come to these points of difficulty. So that might be this point for a US registration of have to, having to actually prove use, but it also might be having to actually um, use your mark in a way to stop other traders who are using something similar. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, trademark registrations aren't about the ease of the registration process itself. It's a about the consideration that is given to each of these factors that are extremely important to allow you to keep and then use the trademark registration in the way that you'd wanted. I think Absolutely. that's my thoughts. Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, your, your registration is only going to provide you that protection so long as it can be enforced um, and as so long as it can stand up to any sorts of challenges like this. I mean, yeah. really... To submit an application for a trademark is a fairly straightforward process, um, but it's making sure that, that that trademark protection is robust um, and can stand up to challenges, whether those challenges are coming from the office, the trademark office itself, or from a third party um, in relation to an opposition or an infringement sort of action. Um, you want to be in a position where you've given considered thought to what you want that protection to actually look like and how it will actually work in connection with your everyday business operations. Um, I think that's what's really important to, to give thought of at the beginning of your stages um, and certainly to take professional advice in relation to. Yep, totally agree. Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. Well, I just want to say a massive thank you, Robin, for coming on to Talking Law today to talk about these important topics. Um, and of course, to you, our listener, we'll be linking straight through to Robin and our team of legal eagles at Aspect Legal. If you or your clients have any questions about trademark registrations or brand protection um, as a whole uh, that you'd really like to dig into with Robin and our other experts in trademarks. Robin, thank you so much for coming on Talking Law today. Always a pleasure, Joe. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that's it. And thanks again for joining in to this episode of Talking Law, where we investigated, of course, all about registering trademarks outside of Australia. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au, where you'll be able to find details 
of everything that we spoke about today in relation to trademarks, but you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Robin Purdy and our other legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like any assistance with trademarks, whether or not you have trademark registrations in place at the moment or would like someone to assess whether or not they will actually stand up for you in the future when you want to use them. Or indeed, if you're looking at developing a brand and looking at protection in relation to that, or you have a brand already and would like to lock in some protection or find out what is involved. Now, if you pop over to the Talking Law page, which is linked to from the show notes here for this podcast episode, you'll be able to see that we have an information pack that's available for free that you can download. Well, I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And if you did, please make sure you head over to your favorite podcast player and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the podcast of Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organisations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com dot au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.